is good to be uh, in church together here this morning. Uh, if you are newer with us, uh, my name is Brian, one of the pastors here, and I uh, want to invite you um, to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible with you today, you should be able to find one in the pew rack in front of you here in this room. And in the East Auditorium, uh, there should be some folks walking around with some Bibles uh, that you can grab from them. And in either space, if you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, we want that uh, Bible to go home with you as a gift from us to you because it's better with you than it is sitting here Monday through Saturday in the pew rack. So um, hopefully that will serve you well. Uh, And as you turn there, we recognize... We've turned into December. You might have even noticed a few snowflakes uh, mixed with the rain this morning. And so, tis the season. Um, It's a phrase that we know well, and really it represents a season that we know Christmas is coming, and so you better get ready. Uh, And that can mean a lot of things. That means uh, sending, you know, zillions of Christmas cards out for you. Maybe it's, um, you know, obviously for a lot of us getting uh, a certain amount of shopping done. Uh, You even have to know the precise hour in which you are going to attend Christmas Eve service to be ready for Christmas in due time. Uh, For me, the challenge is uh, putting up Christmas lights on the house. I don't know if that's something that you partake in, Um, but it's always like I want, if I'm going to get on the roof, I want to do it while it's warm, but I don't want to do it so early as if to somehow leave the impression that I've had my lights up all year long. But on the flip side, I don't want to wait so long that I end up putting myself in danger of ice skating off the edge of the roof. And so, you know, these are the kinds of things that when we say tis the season, we know it's a season of getting our stuff together for Christmas. And in some ways, it almost feels like we put more energy into preparing for Christmas than it does we actually get to focus on celebrating Christmas itself. Um, But in some ways, that actually matches and reflects the layout of Scripture as we look at in this season we call Advent. Uh, And that throughout December, we don't celebrate the birth of Jesus all December long, but really we anticipate, we get ready for, uh, spiritually speaking, the coming of Jesus that we celebrate uh, on obviously December 25th. And throughout the history of the church, this season of Advent and getting ready for Jesus to come, it actually has had a double meaning. Um, The more easily accessible one that we're all familiar with is, of course, getting ready to celebrate the fact that Jesus didn't come, did in fact come 2,000 years ago as a baby in a manger. But it also, throughout the history of the church, has uh, had a double meaning in that it also is about preparing ourselves and um, anticipating the second coming of Jesus. As we looked at last week in 1 Thessalonians, as he will come again and make all things new. And so what we've been doing as a church is, you could say, we have joined literally with millions of Christians around the world in the passages and the prayers that we've been looking at um, and through this shared thing called a lectionary. And if you're from more of a liturgical background, you might be familiar with what that is. But they're selected passages and prayers that we use in the season of Advent to prepare uh, for Christmas. And so uh, the passages that we've been looking at throughout the service and the prayers we've been praying, like with communion, the sermon text that, uh, out of the gospel text that we've been chosen, it's kind of been pre-selected for us, uh, as well as the passages that we've invited you to look at in your own household. Um, and so if you weren't here with us last week, uh, we sent home with every household, uh, you know, maybe you're traveling for Thanksgiving or something like that. Uh, last week, we sent everyone home with a little candle like this uh, that we've invited you to use in conjunction with uh, weekly devotionals that you can access uh, digitally or in paper copies that we have at the, uh, the Welcome Center. And really the idea is to set apart some time in your home beyond just an hour on a Sunday morning to fight for, you know, you know making Jesus, and, and pardon my cliche on this, but making him the reason 
for this season, that we're gonna give some intentional energy with everything else going around to make sure that we're focusing on preparing um, our lives, our hearts, our family's life, our spouse, you know, whoever, maybe it's just you, whoever's in your household, to set apart some time for preparing our hearts for the coming of Jesus. And so the reason we give you the candle is that um, there's nothing magical about the candle, uh, but historically throughout the church and throughout scripture, the symbolic, um, obviously, you know, representation of light and the lighting of a candle has been representative of God's actual presence with us. And so the invitation is to take a little bit of time, light the candle to say, hey, I'm setting this part and to um, spend some time in that devotional with again, whoever your household is. And um, I've already heard from a few people, someone just grabbed me in the lobby and said, hey, thank you uh, for the candle. That has been, that, it was really neat for us to get to do that as a family. So I hope you'll take advantage of that. And if you weren't with us last week, you can grab these at the Welcome Center on your way out, okay? So for today, we're gonna look at Matthew chapter three uh, as it is the gospel text that's provided for us in, this, in, the, in the lectionary for week two of Advent. And we're gonna see that this is a passage that appropriately so, is all about preparing. It's all about preparing the way to welcome Jesus Christ more deeply into our lives. And so I'd invite you to follow along with me in Matthew chapter three, starting in verse one. It says this. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem, all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the, when he saw Many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. All right. Well, we have what is really a classic text for a description of who this character is in scripture, a guy by the name of John the Baptist. And a probably more accurate translation of that would really be John the Baptizer. He's the one doing the baptizing. Um, and he's the one, verse three, who was prophesied about. It was said he would come by Isaiah in the Old Testament as the prophet who would come as a voice in the wilderness, who would come to, it says, prepare the way for the Lord. To prepare the way for Jesus and by his teaching and what he's revealing is preparing the way for us to be ready for Jesus as well. In verse 3 he goes on to say, do this by making straight paths for him. By making straight paths for him. Other translations say, clear the road for him or make the road smooth and clear. 
You see, a little context here that in those days, when it came to roads, they didn't have like paved roads as we would understand them today, obviously, but roads really by and large in that day really would be more of what we might see as a path. Uh, It was a place where animals and wagons and people, they would walk and trample and walk and trample until really you had this path that was just a series of ruts and tracks that were hard pressed into the ground. And that was pretty much the conditions of the roads for everybody in those days. Unless, unless there was a king coming. Unless there was a king coming. You see, when a great king or an emperor would set out to take a journey, he wouldn't just you know, hop in his buggy and just take off as he pleased. No, he would send ahead of him his representatives, his engineers, and they would go out to the villages and they would say, hey, we have exciting news for your village. We have exciting news for you. The king is coming, and so we need to prepare the king's highway. We need to prepare the way for him. And so everyone knew in that time that if a king was coming to your town, you had to prepare the way for him and his entire entourage. And so where there were boulders in the road, those had to be removed. Where there were gullies and ruts, those would have to be filled in. And where there were tight alleyways, that would have to be expanded. Because if you wanted the king to come to your town, you needed to make the paths straight and the road smooth and clear for him. And see, so what we're finding here is this is what Advent is all about for us. That Advent is all about preparing the way for the king to come into our lives, to come into our world. And so we do that by removing obstructions, things that would block him from coming into our lives, and by making clear and straight the path for him, a path for the king, a path for Jesus to enter into our lives. That's what we're preparing for. And so John the Baptist, he uh, reveals how, how it is that we are to prepare that path, how we're to prepare the way, how to make a straight path for him, and very specifically says this is how we do it. In verse two, look again. It says that he came saying, repent. Repent. Merry Christmas. Kind of a weird saying, isn't it? I mean, when you think about an odd Christmas message that you would want to convey to somebody, Repent might be somewhere near the top of the list. It'd be an odd Christmas message. It'd be, it'd be an even odder like Christmas card, you know? And I know you, you've seen odd Christmas cards. You might have already received from some, some family members and because they're family, you put them on the wall, but you know, they're weird. And, and so here's a few odd Christmas cards I came across that uh, you may have seen before. Here's, here's one that I came across. Cat people. <laughs> or how about this one? Yeah, I should look this way. Or this, maybe I should look that way. Yeah. You catching it? Don't you all appreciate a good pun? Yeah, or a bad one for that case. All right, how about this Christmas card? <laughs> Only in central Illinois can we appreciate the full dysfunction of this family. And in fairness, I will throw my own family under the bus here. This is a picture of when we had three kids back in 2010. I don't know if you can see little brother on the bottom there. I'm not sure if big sister putting little brother in a sleeper hold while on Santa's lap is a real good idea for that whole naughty list deal for her. So... Uh, But then, of course, the Christmas card that we might receive from John the Baptist. The message, it might look something like this. I designed that myself. 
on Word. Word document, not, not too bad, huh? Yeah, Merry Christmas and a repentant new year. That's an odd Christmas message. It's an odd Christmas card. And, and it's thinking, okay, this is the passage that the lectionary people have given us for Advent. Like, who's in charge of picking the Christmas passages? Because this does not seem like a message that we want to send to people on Christmas. Repent. But the reason it feels odd, the reason that word kind of almost leaves a weird kind of ring in our ear when we first hear it, is because it's one of those words that really apart from a complete and full understanding leaves us thinking the wrong things. Because it's one of those words that, again, we might think of it as a bullhorn or a guy with a sandwich board, repent, turn or burn, but repentance is much more than that. That repentance, when understood, is actually, it is not only the way that we prepare the way for Jesus Christ to come into our lives, but in all transparency of scripture, it is actually the only way. That repentance combined with faith is the only way that the scriptures lay out that we can open up our lives to receive and to follow Jesus Christ, whether at Christmas or for the rest of our lives. And so to understand that, let's look at a more fuller understanding of what this idea of repentance actually means and that we could describe it this way, that repentance is a change of heart resulting in obedience empowered by the Holy Spirit. A holistic understanding is that repentance is the change of heart resulting in obedience that's empowered, it's all encompassed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we were to add verbs to each of those understandings, repentance, you could say, is the change of heart where we rely. That's where our heart relies, where we we place our actual trust. And that results then in obedience, which is the verb is obey there, that when we obey, there's new decisions, new behaviors that are taking place. And all of that, We rest in that this is not of ourselves, this is not of our own strength and energy. We rest in the fact that the power for that comes from God's Holy Spirit. And so what we're going to do here this morning is just simply walk through each of these kind of points within this understanding of a full understanding of what does it look like to prepare the way for Jesus in our lives through a holistic understanding of repentance in our own lives. Okay, so let's start with that first verb, rely. That we want to start, it starts with our heart, it starts with relying on God in discovering the answer to the question, in whom do we actually put our trust? You see, John the Baptist, his audience here, he is challenging a group of people called the Pharisees and the Sadducees, as we just read. And the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were, they were the religious leaders of the day. They held different positions in religious leadership, but for many of them, as you can see, John the Baptist calls them out, their hearts and their lives, they did not reflect a living out of the responsibility that they were entrusted in to lead others in. And so John the Baptist is calling them out, and we see this in verse 10. He says, the ax is already at the root of the trees. He's talking to them, he's saying, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And so John the Baptist here, he's talking about their behavior, the life that they're living, or their fruit, but he says when it comes to the fruit of their lives, it starts back at the root. He says the ax is at the root of the tree, or in other words, at the heart of their lives. And so that's where it starts. When it talks about where we rely, it starts at the root. It starts at the heart of our lives and then goes out from there. And so the first question we have to answer is, okay, where does our heart's ultimate trust actually and functionally lie? Does it rely on King Jesus? Does our trust 
depend on God in our lives, or is your life dependent and built on, you could say, uh, little false gods or false kings of this world? Martin Luther, uh, 16th century church reformer, uh, to answer this question, he says this. He says, to answer the question of where our hearts truly lie, it all comes down to the first commandment. That if you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, the very first commandment is the one that says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me or no other gods other than me. In other words, you should have nothing else that you rely upon ahead of me or instead of me. And that the breaking you could find of any other command of God or any other directive of God is ultimately going to come back to and result in a breaking of the first commandment. Because to choose to rely on anything else other than God is to say you're going to put another God, something else in charge for you in that space in your life. And so that's the breaking of the first commandment. And so Martin Luther, he says it specifically this way. He says, a God means that from which we are to expect all good and to which we are to take refuge in all distress. So that to have a God is nothing else than to trust and believe him from the whole heart. And so for you, when it comes to the all good, the anything good in your life, from whom do you expect that to come and to whom do you give thanks to when it does come your way? And yet on the inverse, in distress, to what or to whom do you trust to see you through that distress? Whatever the actual answer is to those questions, that is the evidence of where your trust is. That's where your functional and actual God is. That's where your heart is. That is what you actually rely upon. Jesus, in Matthew 6, 21, later in his ministry, would say, for where you place your treasure, where you place your treasure, wherever that could be your physical resources, that could be your emotional resources, it could be your resources of time and energy, there, wherever you place your resources, there it says you will find your heart to be also. And so, we could dig into this a little more personally by asking the question, okay, where is your treasure? Or what, you could say it this way, what has your attention? What has your attention? What's taking up your energy, your resources, your mental and emotional bandwidth? And it could be something good, it could be something difficult. Maybe it's your job or your career, your role in life where that's, that's taking up your attention right now. Again, maybe for better or for worse. Maybe there's a particular relationship that has your attention, maybe things are going really well, or maybe there's challenges in that relationship, maybe with a family member or a spouse or a friend or a coworker. Uh, maybe it's in your financial situation. Again, good or bad, where there is goodness, do you give thanks and credit to God? But then on the inverse, where there is distress, do you rely on God to see you through it? Martin Luther, again, he says it this way, going on, he says, I say, upon which you set your heart and put your trust is properly, or you could say functionally and actually, your God. That is your God. And so for us, we want to make sure we are adhering to that first of those Ten Commandments. We want to put no other thing that we rely upon ahead of God. We want the one true God. We want to rely on God to be God and to be our God. Because from there, if our heart's reliance is actually upon Jesus Christ, then our lives will then naturally overflow into that second, you know, 
movement of repentance, and that is actually then following him in obedience in the living of our lives. That when we actually rely and trust God, that then naturally overflows into trusting him and the way that he's telling us to live our lives, that we want to obey him. We see this in verse eight, and that John the Baptist, again, he's, call, he's, he's challenging us. He's saying, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, obey. Fruit is obeying. And he goes on to say to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, he says, and do not think for yourselves that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. And so what he's saying here to the Pharisees and Sadducees specifically for them is, don't count on your spiritual heritage. That's what they had as, as uh, their Jewish heritage. Don't count on your Jewish heritage in that um, that's somehow going to allow you to neglect obeying and relying upon God. And so that might not be where we're placing our trust, our heritage and, and something like that, but maybe a modern day application for us, maybe coming from John the Baptist, would be maybe for us we would say, hey, do not think to yourselves, hey, I go to church for an hour on Sunday, but I don't rely upon him and obey him Monday through Saturday. Because John the Baptist might then say to us, hey, God can raise up stones to fill pews if that was all that was desired. But he would go on to say, produce fruit. Produce fruit, produce obedience in keeping with repentance and turning towards God. I love the way that... Um, our senior pastor's wife, Leslie Kent, uh, has always kind of put this understanding. And she's from North Carolina, has a good North Carolina accent, so I'm gonna butcher that, but I'm gonna do my best with it. But she always says, living in a barn don't make you a horse any more than sitting in a church makes you a Christian. I told you I was gonna butcher it. <laughs> but it's, that's it, living in a barn doesn't make you a horse any more than sitting in a pew makes you a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, to prepare the way for the Lord in our lives, that when the king comes, relying and obeying, when the king comes, it's all about making sure that we recognize that when he comes, he does not adapt to our roads, but we adapt to his. That's the clencher. That when the king comes, when we prepare the way for the king, that is not asking him to come and adapt to our roadmap, but we then, and relying and obeying him, we are adapting to him. And so playing that out, if you find yourself saying, well, God, if you do this, well, then I'll obey you. If you find yourself saying, God, if, you know, for example, if you could just work out this career opportunity for me, well, then, then I'd be in a position to honor you as an example where I work. Or, God, if you could just give me this relationship, well, then I could be a witness for you in that relationship. Or maybe students in the room, as you think about college or maybe some going on to grad school, you know, God, if you just allow me to get into this school, then I'll be able to lead a life ever forward that honors you. Or, God, if you just give me this much income, well, then I'd be able to obey and give back a tenth of that which you have given me. Essentially, in all these things, we're saying, God, if you give me the life I want, if, God, you could just make my path nice and smooth and straight, well, then, then I will obey you. See, and the problem with that is, is that's not relying and obeying. That's a bargain. 
That's making a deal with God. That's telling God, hey, essentially, if you obey me, well, then I can obey you. Elizabeth Elliot, um, she is the widow of Jim Elliot, who is a well-known missionary uh, who was killed by the Kichwa Indians, uh, the very people he was trying to reach the gospel with. And his wife, his, his uh, widow, Elizabeth, she wrote a novel. It was entitled No Graven Image, uh, and it was first published in 1966. And it was about a woman who, the, 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 the main character in the story, it's about a woman who gives her life to the Lord, and then essentially everything falls apart. Everything falls apart, and people wrote letters to her saying, hey, I do not believe in this. I do not believe in a God who would let these bad things happen to somebody who really lived for him. And in essence, what these people were saying is, I don't believe in a God who won't make my paths straight and smooth. But interestingly, Elizabeth Elliot's main character, after everything had went wrong in her life, she realized that she had created in her mind a roadmap, a roadmap, a bargain that she felt that God should have to do after giving her life to him. And at the end of the book, the main character uh, comes to this understanding, and this is paraphrased. She says it this way. If he's God, I adapt to his roads. He does not adapt to mine. If God was my assistant, well, then he betrayed me. But if I am his assistant, all this trouble in my life has liberated me. He liberated me for me. I was finally ready to let God be God. Because when the king comes, he does not adapt to our roads. Our roads are to adapt to him. And before we get overwhelmed by the weight of that challenge to rely and to be obedient to what he has for us, we must remember the third part of that reality, that this is not of ourselves. This is not of your own strength, that we finally, in all-encompassing, that all this is made possible when we rest in the power of the Holy Spirit. We rest in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is God actually and powerfully at work within your life, within my life, within our lives. And we see John the Baptist setting this up in verse 11. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And fire speaking to the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit first comes upon the church and it says tongues of fire. So it's talking about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. That when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are given the gift of his Holy Spirit within us that empowers us to rely and obey. And so Jesus, the one whom John the Baptist is preparing the way for, he brings this full circle for us in his ministry and his teaching. He brings rely, obey, wrapped in the Holy Spirit uh, in John chapter 14. Uh, and it's going to be on the screen here. These are the words of Jesus in this whole understanding to really back up what John the Baptist prepares the way for us in this. Jesus says it this way. He says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Again, if your heart relies upon Jesus, well, then you actually trust him by obeying the way he is leading you in your life. He says, my father will love them and we, uh, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Again, meaning the Holy Spirit's gonna reside, be at home within you. It's a powerful truth. Anyone who does not love me, well, they will not obey my teaching. 
And so as John the Baptist painted, not obeying, no fruit, simply reveals you don't actually rely upon God, that you're relying on something else. These words you hear, they're not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. And Jesus says, while still physically here, he's basically saying, I'm limited to a particular time or place in a location right now. But, verse 26, but the advocate, that third piece, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all these things and will remind you of these things. He'll remind you of everything I have said to you. And so this is it. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives you. So don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Peace. Peace is what we looked at in the prophet Isaiah earlier. It's peace. It's, it's the reality that everything we're looking at, that relying and obeying all by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is not a burden. This is not, this is not a weight. This is, this is freedom. This is freedom of clarity of this is how I believe God wants me to live my life. I really trust him. And so then in many ways, um, relative to actually trusting God, obedience actually, relatively speaking, if you actually rely on God, is easy. Because you trust that he has your best at heart. You trust that God's best is the best. And so obeying that because you rely upon him just makes sense. And again, that's all empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is, that is what we celebrate that showed up 2,000 years ago. That when Jesus came, as the prophet Isaiah said, he came as the prince of peace. To give us peace and freedom as we anticipate the second coming when it says in Revelation 21.5 when he will actualize all of this eternally by making all things new. A peace that will never go away. And so these are the words from God's word that when followed, they paved the way. They, as we looked at earlier, they make the path straight. Repentance makes the path straight. It opens up our lives to really rely on God and thus naturally want to obey him, trusting that he has his best for us, all empowered by the Holy Spirit, who, verse 26 from John 14, will continue to teach you and remind you of these things. The Holy Spirit's gonna continue to be with you to remind you of these things so that, as Jesus says, John 14, 27, peace, I will leave with you. My peace, I give you. And thus we recognize he does not give us the way that the world gives do not let your hearts be troubled and do not then be afraid. That's good news. That's a Christmas message that we can live with and hang on to as we prepare the path for him in our lives, both celebrating him in a manger on December 25th, but also anticipating his coming again. And so let me pray for us uh, in that reality. Father, we're thankful that Sometimes the most practical thing that we can understand is not something we do, but a, a paradigm that changes the way that we understand our life. And Father, we thank you for the gift of your word that's enlightened to us and gonna be reminded to us, not just you know, for the next five minutes, but we pray through the rest of this month as we prepare for Jesus and the rest of our lives that we would be reminded constantly of your teaching by the power of your Holy Spirit. Um, as we obey that first commandment to have no other God before you, that we rely upon you and the natural out of the overflow of that, knowing you have what's best for us, we wanna do those things. It's best for our lives. It's best for your kingdom. Uh, it's all for your glory and by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so to that end, we ask that we would be making straight paths for you in our lives. In Jesus' name.